What's up, guys? Omar here with you. Welcome back to another episode of the Pro GK Podcast, the quarantine series. Uh, because a lot of us can't go outside and be a part of group sessions or even really train, I wanted to get as many pro goalkeepers and pro coaches on the air, on Instagram Live, to answer some of your guys' questions. And if you guys have not been a part of that yet, go on Instagram, ProGKAcademy underscore, and make sure you guys tune into my stories to see when the next Instagram Live is going to be. The questions have been great. You guys have been amazing. A lot of great feedback. And again, I want to get all of your guys' questions answered, so make sure you guys hop on. In today's episode, we have goalkeeping director for the Philadelphia Union, Phil Wedden, who's a good friend of mine. And Phil shares a lot about his philosophy how he became a coach, and what he thinks about the goalkeeping position in its current state. Super excited for you guys to hear this. Again, make sure you guys rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps me out, and it helps this uh, channel really grow and get more listeners. So if you guys can do that, that'd be great. For now, stay safe, stay indoors, self-quarantine, and hopefully we'll see you guys on the field soon. Again, my name is Omar Zini. Enjoy this episode. To start, Phil, you know, a lot of the younger generation may not know who you are. A lot of us older coaches, we've learned a lot from you and your kind of... What do you, what do you mean? Are you trying to say <laughs> No, I just think that uh, unless you're a goalkeeper coach and somebody who's in Philly, maybe, or all that. For, for me, at least, I know who you are because I love your work. But a lot of the younger kids may not know who you are. So can you just tell them a little bit about your coaching experience and, you know, where the game has taken you? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been very, very fortunate to have some quite unique experiences you know, it all started a long time ago when I was a very average goalkeeper and got uh, actually had a had a hand injury. Well, I thought it was an injury. It turned out that I have a, a tendon problem in my hands, which required a surgery about every one, once every two years. So, wow. as, as a goalkeeper and an average one at that, that that's uh, probably not a good thing. So I uh, really focused on the coaching. I got involved in a lot of different organisations like Star Goalkeeper Academy, Soccer Plus. Um, I did my licensing and I was fortunate enough to come across a gentleman called Peter Meller, who was the instru- one of the instructors on my A license. And then uh, he asked me if I would come out and watch him train in, in California with the Olympic team. And of course, I was like, yeah, of course. And the goalkeepers at the time were Brad Friedel and Tim Howard. And then I got a phone call saying, would you want to go to Australia with the women's national team? And then uh, things sort of just... And that was a, a long time ago, probably before some people who were listening were, were even born, since you said I'm that old. Um, but no, it's, it's just been a, a very, I mean, I, I couldn't have predicted where things would take me. I think life is about opportunity. And, you know, some people take the opportunities they get and some people let them pass them by. Uh, and I've been very, very fortunate to be around some very good people, learn a lot of lessons from, you know, some good, some not so good from people around the world. I've been fortunate to work with the men's national team, the women's national team. Uh, I was in the women's professional league. I was in the MLS way, way back when New York were (laughs) the Metro stars. I don't know. Were you born then? I don't know. 92. So yes, I probably was. Okay. (laughs) And then, uh, then I I coached in college uh, as a head coach in college. Uh, Again, a, a totally different experience. Um, but found myself always involved in the coaching education for for U.S. soccer. I've been an instructor for U.S. soccer for many years. And then, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of come full circle, and I'm back in the MLS now with the Philadelphia Union. I work with a, a, a great group of goalkeepers, a, a great staff, and I, I'm thrilled to be back in the MLS. That's awesome. So, you know, the game has taken you all around the world, and... Obviously, you've had experience at the highest highest of levels. So how would you describe your philosophy and methodology as the years have progressed and kind of what are your priorities when you're looking to mold a young goalkeeper into eventually a first-team goalkeeper? Yeah, I think that's, you know, I think as a goalkeeper coach, I, I try and make things realistic to the game. I mean, so my, my philosophy is based around uh, what the game presents. Uh, and sometimes... It's different depending on the level that you're working with. Sometimes it's different from day to day and from uh, game to game. You know, sometimes your philosophies have to change. You have to do things that you might not necessarily believe in, depending on who you're working with as well. But, you know, I'm a very, I would like to say that I'm a technical coach. I, I believe in technique. You know, at the younger levels, goalkeepers need to be technical first. And if they can't be technical, just make the save. At the professional and older levels, just make the save. And then if you can be technical, be technical, because obviously people are getting paid for making saves at that point. 
most of the time. But my philosophy revolves around what the game presents. As far as methodology goes, I I like to have a progressive practice in which the goalkeepers can see progress from one exercise to to another. And and the goalkeepers I'm dealing with now, they almost need to know that there's a, a progression in what we're doing. You know, otherwise you're bouncing around and doing different things sometimes without uh, as you've seen on social media, because there's all sorts of things out there, sometimes people do things that make absolutely no sense. And I, as a coach, I look at that and I say, well, how does that relate to the game? And I, I've I've been rather dismissive at times in my past of, of different methodologies and things. But I think if you can tell me why you're doing something and the benefit of something, I may not agree with it, but at least, you know, I might understand. Perfect. Okay, that's a good launching point for the rest of this Q&A and just kind of understanding the context of some of your answers then. That's important. Okay, so we have Luke Osterley95. He says, Phil, what's Andre Blake's biggest strength as a goalkeeper and what are his training habits like? I don't know if you're able to speak on that, but if you'd like to, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, obviously that, that's, a, that's a sensitive subject. I don't want to talk talk in detail about each goalkeeper that I work with, but it, it's an honor to work with Andre uh, he's uh, ex- an exceptional talent, and he works very hard in training. You know, all all of our goalkeepers, Joe Bendick, uh, Matt Fries, uh, Todd Morton, when he's with us, you know, they they all work really hard. They're all very different goalkeepers, but they all work exceptionally hard. Uh, and right now, that they're, they're all performing at a very high level. Awesome. Okay, short and sweet. I like that. Okay, EK Soccer Training, my man Eric Lenovsky. He says he's from Toronto FC too. When you made the decision that you wanted to be a coach, who did you model yourself after and what were some of their best qualities? Well, when I started coaching in this country, the camp business was very, very big. So Star Goalkeeper Academy and Dan Gaspar, Tony DiCicco and Soccer Plus, they were, and Joe Mac, don't forget Joe Matchnick and number one goalkeeper camps, they were all very, very big and you know, I learned a lot from Dan. I learned a lot from Tony. I wasn't around Joe very much. But I, I took took the energy of Dan and the uh, progressive nature, if you like, at the time of, of Tony. And I, I looked at those things uh, and tried to come up with my own methods, if you like. And as I mentioned before, I came across Peter Meller. Uh, and I still have a piece of paper that Peter gave me in 1999. Well, sorry, it was 2000, January of 2000, that lists the qualities of a coach. Uh, and that was back then. Uh, and some of the things that stood out to me, and if you know Peter Meller, if you're around Peter Meller, you know this about him. He's a professional and he's calm. He, he stays calm. He's humble. He's very thankful for his opportunities. Uh, and he does his best for the goalkeepers on a daily basis. Uh, and that's kind of the way that I've progressed throughout my career. Got it. Okay. Great answer there. Uh, we have one here from Jake Davis, or Jake underscore Davis underscore 21. Uh, he actually was on here yesterday. He says, Phil, this is Jake Davis. What is the difference between coaching in the USL versus coaching in the MLS, if there's any? Uh, speed of the game uh, and quality of execution. Uh, you know, the there's a lot of young, very, very talented young players in the USL. I was fortunate last year to have that experience with Tomas Romero, who who was the starting goalkeeper for us last year. Uh, He then went to Georgetown and won a national championship. And then Todd Morton came in in August and and was absolutely fantastic. But you're dealing with a more, uh, with a, I would say, a raw talent most of the time with these these younger goalkeepers. And it's your job to mold them, to help um, them with game experience. Uh, now in the MLS, obviously you're dealing with primarily older goalkeepers. We, you know, two of our goalkeepers are slightly older, and Matt is a an, an up-and-coming goalkeeper. So the information is slightly different. Well, it's the same information, but you minimise it. You, you know, you might have longer coaching points or more stoppages, if you like, in a in a practice in an overall training session with the younger goalkeepers. But with these guys, they get in, they train, you make a coaching point, you're out quickly uh, because you don't want to disrupt their rhythm and flow in their training. Got you. Okay. Uh, Ryan underscore Everhart underscore. He says, how do I get myself seen? If my coach believes I have the ability to go D1, how do I get seen without spending $600 at an ID camp? So I I don't know, Phil, if you've come across this question a lot, but I I feel like you have. Yeah, you know, that it's challenging, isn't it? And now with the DA, the academies developing goalkeepers, and that seems to be the progress to 
and that, that's that's something that we're charged with as well is bringing in homegrown goalkeepers. Um, so it's difficult to get seen. There have been many, many times over in in the past where people have sent videos to coaches. You know, so sending videos, I still believe, might be one of the best options. A coach's email. Align yourself with someone that knows you, uh, someone who knows what you're about, knows you as a person as well. That that's critical. Um, you can be a great goalkeeper, but you can have poor character. And one of the worst things you can have in a locker room is poor character. So if you can align yourself with someone who knows you very well and other goalkeeper coaches and other coaches of other teams, clubs that know you and can endorse you, that might help you in your journey. For sure. I think one one point that I made to Todd Hofford yesterday when he was on was that, you know, there's there are times where if I was at, you know, the college camps and I watched the goalkeeper and they had good technique and they said, hey, I don't play for a DA, but if they had good technique, very good handling in the bubble, good solid foundation of, of technique, I'm going to continue to follow up with them because I've, I see a little bit of them that I could potentially groom and work with versus somebody who is the backup or, you know, maybe maybe even the starter for a DA team. Just because you tag them with a DA title doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be the full package from the beginning and they don't need to be refined at all. But do you feel like sometimes the DA title or youth national team, per se, can kind of be misleading? Yeah, it can be. And, and it, you know, with these ID camps, I, I've been a college coach, so I know, you know, the, the ID camps, you know who's coming into these camps. You've actually invited people into these camps and very seldom does someone come in as a random that you don't really know who's just signed up out of the blue uh, very seldom do you follow up on them and take them because you've done your research on the people that are coming into camp. You know, sometimes the ID camps turn into more of a money maker. But if you, if you do stand out in a camp uh, and that has happened, then uh, as a college coach, I think it would be wise to follow up. Absolutely. OK, so back to a coach or a question for coaches. Uh, Zach Downs, he asks, what are some easy ways to make sessions more game realistic? Do you do technical work every session? He's a goalkeeper director at Solar uh, DA. So yeah, you know, so that, that's interesting because you know you, you go on social media and you see all these things diving over and around things and through things. And uh, I look, at, you look at the game and you say, in in this situation, what options does a field player have? So I, I look at it sometimes from a field player's point of view. In in the way that we prepare for a game, for example, we played LAFC a couple of weeks back. What do LAFC do? They have a lot of numbers in the box. How can I recreate that? I, I went to the end point. What do I want it to look like at the end? And then built the session back. Um, so there'd be close range shot stopping, a lot of distance covered across the goal, a lot of changing of position. So I, I took the end point and worked back from that. So I think if, if we can take, if we can look at it and say, okay, I want to work on dealing with crosses. I wasn't going to say blocking because everyone wants to do the blocking. Everyone think, thinks that's the way to go. Uh, if I want to deal with crosses, where are the crosses coming from in the game? Where are they most common? Is a cross always a ball in the air or is it an early ball behind the back four? And I would start dealing with the, the smaller part, the more technical part of it. So a little bit of footwork leading into the save, getting the handling right, and then gradually increase the size of the exercise and the complexity. I may be adding players if you're fortunate enough to add players or mannequins or you know something that would impede the goalkeeper's progress. Got you. So to follow up on that question, for younger goalkeepers, let's say if younger goalkeeper coaches, when you have these goalkeepers who you may not have the scouting reports on the other teams, right? Uh, I spoke to Chris Sharp on the pro series that I had, and he mentioned sometimes it's better to look at what your defensive players give up and and work around that as well. So for you, let's say for a goalkeeper coach not in the pro game who doesn't have those scouting reports even below the college game but DA level what is kind of the priority for that coach let's say on a Monday Tuesday and then Wednesday Thursday maybe more game realistic but that Monday and Tuesday even Wednesday what do, what would you do in, in that sense as a coach well I think um, one of the key things right now Omar is that you've got this periodization so you know you know what's going to happen on a Monday Tuesday Wednesday as well as the physical load of the goalkeeper if you know, so if you're not working, if you're working in a DA, you probably should have a structure to your week and you know what's going to happen. If you're working below the DA or and you're training four nights a week or four days a week, you know, I, I think you should have a, a topic that you want to want to develop. So on a, on a Monday, for example, here's what I've done and the goalkeepers that I work with know this. 
the day that they come back. So there's a day off, they come back after a day off. That is mostly technical, high reps, where they, they don't have to think much. The next day is more thinking. It's more of a complex environment. The next day, which would be the Thursday, because we're off on Monday, so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we start to really get into what the opponent does, and then Friday is pre, pre-match, typically. So having a structure to your week and knowing what you're going to work on, and every goalkeeper coach out there needs to know their goalkeepers and not just come up with cookie-cutter sessions because one size doesn't fit all. You know, you're going to train a group of six goalkeepers Three might be six foot tall and, and one might be 5'11 and one might be 5'5. Five five. And how do you adapt every session to, you know, and that's, that's coaching, adapting the yeah. session to meet the needs of the goalkeeper. So I would encourage goalkeepers, goalkeeper coaches, especially young goalkeeper coaches, to think about the game, think about situations that you need to develop with these young goalkeepers. And typically a lot of that is technical fundamentals and basic tactical principles. Because if you're dealing with just a group of goalkeepers, you have them for, was it an hour and a half, an hour, a night, and then they go to their teams later in the week and you don't actually see them in that environment. So you don't get to teach the real tactics of the game. But work with them on, on an idea, on a concept, and introduce the basic tactical principles so that at least when they go into their games or when they go into their team training, they go, oh, I remember that. Mm. Uh, Omar did that on Tuesday. All right, now so now I see the the relation and the correlation. Got you. Okay, guys. So any coaches listening, reverse engineer, find the la- the finishing piece, and then work backwards, like you said. Okay, Olympic GK Academy. Uh, Andreas, he says, how does goalkeeper training differ in methodology and focus from Europe compared to North America? Yeah, it's funny because I, I I had a, I was on the phone two days ago with someone in Europe and we were talking about the difference in in methodology even even within the same country. Uh, yeah, I think in Europe, in, in mainland Europe, there's a push for the more cognitive side of things, so colours, numbers, goalkeepers responding to visual and verbal cues. That is definitely more common and more prevalent, I would say, in in Germany and places like that. England is definitely going that way. If anyone's had the opportunity to be around Tim Dittmer, Eric Steele, any of those people, Richard Hartis, the way that the English FA is doing things now is all about making decisions. So even even to the point where not hitting volleys as much, because when you hit a volley, the ball travels in a different way, and you don't see that you don't see that in a game typically. So and you're not actually teaching skill. Or developing technique mm. so they've done a lot of things where the ball is hit just off the ground because now you have to make a saving decision so in europe i think there it's there's a lot more decision making that goes on in their training right from the start so you know you step on the field and you're making decisions straight away which you know for some goalkeepers that's good for some goalkeepers they may not may not like that some coaches may not like that in north america i feel like uh, we are going that way. There's a, there's a lot more cognitive training going on. And, I, you know, I do that almost on a daily basis, depending on, again, the, the time of the session in the week. But I feel like there's definitely a moment for a, an, an isolated technique as well. In North America, we've always had this idea that we can outwork other people and we're stronger, more athletic, etc. And that's that's a good trait to have. But we've got to work hard within the realm of the game and not diving over objects or, <laughs> or people or doing somersaults and you know all that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's been the beauty of having you as a resource and having Tim Dittmer, who extends his hand and helps out a lot of younger goalkeeper coaches to allow that kind of contribution from the European mindset or from the English side to help us younger coaches understand, you know, trying to evolve and trying to make improvements as coaches so that there isn't that much of transition if a goalkeeper like Zach Steffen wants to go to Europe and wants to play there. You know what I mean? So it's 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 similar to what we're doing here. But I know you're going to love this question. This question is from Daniel Henera, and he says, Hi, my block saves are very good in training, but when it comes to games, I pull out other saves. Why doesn't the block save come naturally? And I think what he's trying to say is just, you know, if you, if you train it a certain way, without it being game realistic and it doesn't happen in the game like the way it happens in training, how how can you make it more realistic, I guess? Yeah, I mean, for me, and again, the, the block save is, you know, that's the sexy save, isn't it, right now? Everyone's talking <laughs> about that. So, you know, there's there's the long block. 
So that's almost like the hurdle position. There's a short block, which is uh, basically a, a kneeling position. And then there's a spread, which you're just spreading yourself into the ball. Um, so for me, there's, there's a, a bunch of different saves within the realm of blocking. Uh, when, when you look at it, the way that most people, the way that I've seen, and again, when I say seen, I, I'm looking at social media, I'm looking at sessions that people post. Uh, there's a lot of, I roll the ball to you and you run on and you smash it. So the ball is always going straight backwards and forwards, which that's mm. not how it happens in a game. You know, the, the ball is touched at an angle and you've got to make a decision. Can I win the ball with my hands first? That should be our priority, but it doesn't seem to be. Can I get my hands on the ball? Uh, if the answer is no, can I stand up and just keep my shape and, and let the field player hit me? If the answer is no, then maybe I have to block. So do, doing these exercises from angles or having someone with their back to goal and a, and a quick turn, you know, having, the, having that ball played into them, a quick turn and a shot, having... You know, think about the other times that we make these kind of blocking saves. If uh, maybe there's a corner that's come in, the ball is touched down and it's somewhere just outside the six yard box. And we have to just go out there and spread and make that kind of save. Those things happen all the time. Uh, we make those we make a blocking save as a recovery save. You go down, you make a save, you give a rebound because of for whatever reason, maybe you're not wearing your sport gloves. I don't know. <laughs> you give a quick plug there. You give a rebound, and then you've got to get up, and then you've got to then you've got to make a shape. So training it in the scent in in the in the way that it happens in a game is essential. This ball always coming straight at you from it just very very rarely happens in a game. And would you say that that's a coaching issue, or do you think that when it comes to the the goalkeepers, they should be at the point now where if it doesn't work naturally in a game they should probably ask their coach hey why is this not what we look for or what you've shown me in practice i think our job as coaches is to to give our goalkeepers the experience of seeing these things in multiple different situations so perhaps it's a coaching thing perhaps we as coaches need to evolve and look and that's why i say look at the game um, how many times does this ball come straight at you and you block? I mean, practically never. So as coaches, we need to create environments that bring out decision-making in the goalkeepers. Do I, is it a long block? Is it a short block? Do I stand up? Can I win it with my hands? So now when I go into a game, I've been given the tools to be successful. If we, You can't hold people accountable for information that you haven't given them. So give them information so that they can then make an informed decision. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's the way that I would do it. Amen. Okay. So Ryan underscore Everhart underscore, he asks, what are the main strengths that you look for in a goalkeeper? So building off what we just discussed right now about decision-making for me, at least that is my number one thing that I would probably look for. If I had to choose one thing, it's a lot of kids have very similar technique, but it's the decisions and how they use it and how they are in game. So for you, Phil, what is, let's say three things that are the main strength that you look for in a goalkeeper, and that's how you identify them. It depends on the age, though, Omar. You, you, again, we can't have a cookie-cutter answer. You know, one, one of the things when you're looking at a younger goalkeeper, uh, you can't teach size. So physically, are they capable of performing the tasks that you're asking them to do? So up to a certain point, you can't teach size. You know, bravery is, is something. Courage is, is one of the things that we look for. Decision-making and the physical profile. So, you know, at, at the higher level of the game, yes, you've got to look at, you have to look at the physical, uh, in, in the women's game, I'm not looking at a goalkeeper unless she's 5'11". Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they're, they're a bad goalkeeper, it's just they have a preconceived notion of what they're looking for. So if, if we had to narrow it down for a professional level, it would be physical traits and characteristics, and that includes athletic ability, decision-making, and the fundamentals can they can they uh, actually i should say can they play with their feet um yeah, so yeah, i mean we touch the ball seven more times with the feet than we do with the hands so can they play on the field can they deal with the ball under pressure that's a great answer i think that's one one thing where i watched that uh, big joe impact uh, goalkeeper academy i watched your session and you talked about that as well where there was a part of the session that didn't flow like i thought it was going to flow and then you said oh but in the game you're going to be doing a cross. And after that, you're going to be dealing with your feet. So it was important to give the goalkeeper within training the ability to see the natural fluctuation of how the game works. So that was, again, for a coach, for me, that was really important to hear that as well. So good point. Well, that, that's, that's just me sometimes playing with ideas. 
and, and we've done this recently with our goalkeepers as well because there are chunks of time in a game that you're asked to perform different actions, obviously. So if our training is all hands, hand, we warm up with a little bit of foot skills and then it's shot handling, shot handling, shot handling, shot handling, now you're with the team. Well, you actually only touched the ball with your feet half an hour ago. You know, instead, what about mixing that in with the shot handling? Mm. So do some foot skills, a little bit of shot handling, maybe some uh, more foot skills and then get back to shot handling because that's kind of, you know, or, or crosses, whatever. That's kind of the rhythm of the game. I wouldn't say do that every day. Certainly not. But it's something to think, something for our coaches to think about playing with Absolutely. the rhythm of training. I agree. I think that's something that I've taken away as well, that I've, I've tried to do more in possession, out of possession in my session so that the goalkeepers can get a little bit of both. So, uh, okay. You're going to love this one again. Leo underscore Leo underscore Leo. He says, uh, Sir Phil. Uh, little Sir, oh. Sir Phil. Yeah. Wow, there you go. <laughs> How is the scouting system working in the U.S. for, uh, I, I'm going to try and, debrief that question it's kind of hard but what he's trying to say i think is let's say for you as a coach here in the u.s what are the traits and personality things that you do to help get those goalkeepers to europe like what do you see in a goalkeeper and go oh they're ready for europe now um well to be honest with you uh, we're trying not to do that you know i I think that's that's one of the things that uh, a lot of clubs are now trying not to do is let them let their goalkeepers go to europe i mean that's we want to hold on to these players as long as we can, as long as they're in the correct environment. But if they're ready to play at that level, they've already been scouted. There's so many players now that go abroad at a younger younger age, uh, 15, 16, 17. You've got, you've got goalkeepers in Europe now, some of the younger goalkeepers in Europe now that are still trying to play their trade. I mean, we, we have a, a Philly, we have a, a player, CJ DeSantos, that is at Benfica, um, you know, and he, as a goalkeeper, and he's trying to apply his trade there and get minutes there. So um, I, I think teams, if, if you're in the DA and you're seen by other clubs, um, everyone scouts all over the world. You've got Y Scout now, so and different uh, scouting mechanisms. If you're looking for a goalkeeper, you plug it into the system. It spits out a thousand names uh, and you go through them. So as far as traits that they would look for, definitely someone who uh, is good with their feet, definitely someone who has a, a presence and you can't teach presence sometimes. Uh, and again, do they have the physical characteristics to perform the job at the highest level? Got it. Okay. Uh, Arya Hashi- Hashimi1 says, besides goalkeeper training overall, how important do you see psycho- uh, psychological training and mental training for goalkeepers? And if, if you guys do any of that in Philly? Yeah, you know, that obviously... Uh, as goalkeeper coaches, we're part psychologists anyway. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it, obviously, obviously we deal with the ball hitting the back of the net. And oftentimes in young goalkeepers, the ball hits the back of the net and you've got 11, you've got the other 10 players looking at you, you've got a coach on the sideline and ultimately all the fingers point at you. So yeah, psychology is a massive part of the sport, a massive, massive part of the goalkeeping position. The ability to have a short-term memory and not take things personally and rebound quickly are essential. So, yeah, it's, some, it's something that we, we do deal with. Uh, everyone deals with it. when we're training with goalkeepers. We deal with that psychological aspect and helping them to forget mistakes uh, I remember one of the things that uh, Dan Gaspar actually t- told me once was if you pick a blade of grass, it's not like you can, uh, you can't put it back in the blade. You can't put it back in. It's going to grow, <laughs> you know, chuck the blade of grass, it's done. And that, that's how quickly your memory has to move on uh, so that you can perform the next action. So sometimes you're the hero, sometimes you're the villain, but having that short term uh, is very important. And yes, we do deal with it uh, with, with our goalkeepers. We have uh, a number of goalkeepers in the club that punch the ground in training when a ball goes in the back of the net or have visual outbursts of uh, disappointment. And and those are things that we're trying to curb. And, you know, in my role, I'm trying to help eliminate that through our system because that just sends the wrong message to the players in front of the goalkeeper and to the coaching staff because uh, coaching staffs and players need to trust the goalkeeper. And trust is something that, as you know, takes a long time to build and seconds yeah. to destroy. So uh, it's important that we don't demonstrate our 
frustrations. For sure. So one thing that I really wanted to just pick your brain on, and I spoke to Chris Sharp about this recently, it was the idea of overcoaching. And sometimes in a session or even during a game, sometimes we can try to have our fingerprints and really want to make it a point that we're the reason why they're successful in a sense, or we really want to stop the session to make our point versus just letting them gradually figure it out over time. So uh, back to the psychological aspect, but now from the coach's perspective, what style do you think you kind of fall into, or is it just ever changing based on the personalities that you're you're dealing with? I think it's change. You know, it changes. There, there are a lot of goalkeepers that will ask you questions. Uh, what, what do you think? How do you feel? Uh, and those are the questions that I'll ask them as well. What did you think about that? But I won't do it on every rep. You know, typically I'll do it on uh, if there's a glaring mistake and something that I see or a habit that is that I see. And a habit for me is something that happens multiple times. So if it's just a one-off, I'm not going to jump on it. If it's two or three times and you're thinking, okay, I need to need to make a point here to try and help them make this save or be cleaner with the save or with the strike of the ball, whatever it is, then then I'll, then I'll find with, with the professionals, usually it's a natural stoppage mm. or within the flow. So I might say hands or elbows or just give a quick trigger word that they know what it means because we will have discussed it before so for example uh, there's one goalkeeper that likes to do the old pulling of the arms back prior to the save which is very very common but if you're going to do that the timing has to be perfect um, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell him to push his hands and what all I mean by that is push your hands forward in front of the body so the elbows and arms can move in front of the body and so as he's going and shifting across the goal uh, I might just say hands as he's going uh, and then automatically it triggers a, should should trigger a response. So I, I do a lot of coaching in the flow, a lot of coaching at natural stoppages uh, in the session, such as water breaks or shifting to the next exercise. And I'll just say, hey, make sure you f make sure you think about this in this next one. You know, give them a little pointer as we go. With the younger goalkeepers, there's again a lot of coaching in the flow, and then maybe a few more demonstrations. With, with younger goalkeepers to actually show what you mean. And I think that's critical, actually. I think the goalkeeper coaches, it's like uh, I always say, I wonder how a piano, t a piano teacher would teach the piano without, out, without actually touching the keys. You know, so I think as a goalkeeper coach, you've got to be able to demonstrate what you're looking for. Uh, not necessarily at the speed that is that <laughs> some, some of us, as you've already said, as you've already said, some of us are old. So... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I may not move as fast as you. So, you know, we, we've got to be careful of that. But if you can paint the picture, if you can paint the picture, try doing it this way. And if we do, this is the natural path of the body or whatever it is you're trying to explain. I feel like that's a great way with younger goalkeepers to keep the flow of the session, but also really gain their attention and be a role model. Great. So you just talked about uh, various age groups and again, trying to figure out with every age group the, pri the right approach. And uh, Alberto Ruiz, good friend of ours, he says, hey, coach, hope you're well and everyone uh, is staying safe and healthy. Do you have a favorite age group and favorite type of session that you like to coach? First of all, if Alberto's in Germany, what time is it there? It's, it's almost one o'clock in the morning now, I think. It is. But you're a, you're a celebrity to us, you know, you, we, we'll stay up. Alberto needs his beauty sleep, first of all. Um, <laughs> but do I have a favorite age group? You know, I, I love working with the little kids. Love working with little with with beginners um, because you can really see the impact that you're having on them uh, as a person. And I think sometimes you really need to br you need to bring your energy. It's not the kids that you know. You need to harness the energy of the kids. You need to get down on their level. Uh, I love working with young younger goalkeepers, and it's a privilege to work with the older goalkeepers. Um, but we've really got to develop the youth in this country and around the world. We've got to develop the younger goalkeepers so that they feel the passion for the position so they don't leave and go to a different sport so they they feed off your energy and enthusiasm and passion so yeah working with the younger goalkeepers is, is awesome working with the with professional goalkeepers for anyone who's lucky enough to do it that that's an honor and a privilege and your favorite session what's uh like a session that you really draw out and you go this is the one I, i've been lo looking forward to you know I, 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 there's a couple of crossing sessions that i like uh, that I do, um, you know, there's a couple of, just because that's not a, uh, a fashionable thing to do, you know, um, I love trying to recreate the environments in which the goalkeepers see crosses and service, 
and again from different points on the field. And I also like dealing with cutbacks. You know, that, that ball that's pulled back because there's so so many possibilities that, that go on in those, those sessions. And as a coach, you have to be on your game and teach every or address every possible scenario that's out there. So uh, dealing with cutbacks allows you to deal with all the sexy blocking, allows yeah. you to deal with, <laughs> uh, you know, shot stopping, quick footwork, handling, body shape. You know, that, that for me is a really high energy session as well. Gotcha. Okay. So we have one question from here that I really like from Logan.Bittner. He says, hey, Phil, younger player from Kentucky here. What is the number one thing that younger goalkeepers need to focus on more that they're not prioritizing now? Uh, well, Logan, thanks for the question. I think it depends on where you are in the country and who you're working with, you know, so, because typically goalkeeper coaches are known for working on, on certain things. I, I would say the, the thing that most goalkeepers are not working on right now is catching. Mm. Actually catching the ball, whatever save you're making, catching it. It's not fashionable. It's not something that we do an awful lot. When you get to the professional level, you're, you're not holding on to an awful lot because the ball is traveling so fast. So at the younger ages, you've got to be, you've got to be able to catch. The other thing that I'll say is finding a body shape, finding a set shape that works for you based on your physical parameters. And again, this is where as coaches, we can have a massive impact on the goalkeepers. Not everyone is going to stand the same. So we can't coach them to stand the same. You know, some people are going to have different attributes that we need to highlight. And that starts with how you prepare to save. So the two things for me would be how you prepare to save and catching. All right. That's actually a really good answer. One thing that we spoke to Todd yesterday about was he said, if you're a young goalkeeper or young goalkeeper coach, go to an MLS game or a local professional game and show up an hour early and watch guys like yourself, Phil, guys like Todd, who work with the second string goalkeeper prior to the game. And you'll see how, just how good they are inside the bubble and how masterful they are with their technique. And in the game, like you said, very rarely are you trying to catch the ball. It's about just keeping the ball out of the net. And it's not so much about the technique. But if you really want to see the next level and the ability to slow the game down and slow those uh, fastballs coming in inside the bubble and hold the balls, come earlier, even go to a session and watch the sessions. And you can really grow a little bit more respect for what the goalkeepers have and what separates those guys at the professional level from guys in college per se. Uh, we're, we're all armchair analysts, aren't we? I mean, and every, everyone right now is gutted because they can't watch soccer on TV and, and belittle whoever's letting the goals in. <laughs> um, you know, but until you see the pace that that ball is coming and the way that it moves uh, just, just ever so slightly at the last second or it dips, you know, um, these goalkeepers aren't able to hold on to a lot. So again, be, being able to put the ball into a safe spot, knowing where that safe spot is and being able to reload quickly for any possibility is, is essential. But at the younger levels, when the ball isn't moving at 80, 90 miles an hour, let's train our goalkeepers to catch so that they can make that decision when they get to the professional level. I can't hold it, so I'm going to push it away. Got you. Okay, we got uh, JShep01. He says... What's up, Omar? What's up, Phil? Jason from Trinidad here. What's your approach like? <laughs> he says, uh, what's your approach like concerning the mental aspect with your goalkeeping roster, first to third string, before and during the session, or uh, before, and, before and during the season to keep them motivated? Yeah, so uh, that's, that's a great question because we have our roster right now, uh, our first team roster, we have three very, very good goalkeepers. So... We, we know that, for example, Andre Blake started the first two games and did very, very well when we played LAFC. So had we played San Jose this week, he, he would have played. Uh, Joe Bendick had a fantastic preseason. He needs, so, so, and he was number two. And then Matt also had a fantastic preseason. So all three were performing at a really high level. Open and honest communication is essential. So telling the goalkeeper beforehand way before the first game and I also laid out the plan for preseason for all the goalkeepers so they knew who was going to play what game how many minutes they were going to play and it didn't change and fortunate enough for me uh, I work with a great head coach who, who said whatever you want to do is fine um, and, and it worked so that each goalkeeper had a fair shot to show what they were capable of doing um, and then obviously you've got the training that comes into it as well so 
open and honest communication, Jason, is, is critical. And sometimes, sometimes it's not what the goalkeepers want to hear. And you've got to be okay with that. And that's just part of our job that is unfortunate. And it takes some courage to have a conversation with, a, with, a, with an adult and say, so-and-so is playing. Here are the reasons. They may not like the Well, no one likes the reasons, do they? Um, like yeah. you're going to, you, you might say, hey, Phil, you're not playing because you're old. Uh, so, because uh, <laughs> that's what we started with. So, um, it doesn't matter if I'm better looking or whatever else, you're old, you're not playing. Uh, and I'm not going to want to hear that. But yeah. you've got to be comfortable having those difficult conversations. And that's the next level of, of, of the goalkeeper coach, being being able to have those conversations and then still still pushing that goalkeeper to be his or her best because that's critical. Got you. Great answer. Um, okay, KC Goalkeeping. He says, when you train twice, uh, twice a week with a younger club goalkeeper, how long should you stay on a specific topic? Maybe two weeks, which is generally four sessions. I think that's a really good question because it's hard to, again, the periodization and things like that. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, would it be one week? So, so, and have a rotation of what you're working on. So, uh, and, and let the goalkeeper know perhaps, hey, uh, on the, this week, we're going to work on this. On these two sessions, maybe you could pull some video clips. You see them twice a week. Can you pull some video clips? Give them something before the session to say, this is what we're working on. If you're not fortunate enough to go and watch them play and video them playing, we're going to work on this and, and pick pick a goalkeeper and pull some clips, work on that one week, then work on it, work on something different the following week, but have a cycle of what you work on. I mean, that, that might be a way to approach it, but obviously always, always encompassing uh, or involving playing with the feet as well. Got it. Okay. Uh, Zach Downs, again, he says, for you 13 and under, what would your main focus be? Technical or physical movement? meaning jumping explosions, uh, reaction movements, off the ball, athletic movements. Example, can you train a girl or a guy at U16? I'm not sure what he meant by the second part, but uh, yeah, for U13 and under, what is, I guess, the main priority? I think we may have covered this earlier on, but if you wanted maybe just a... Yeah, of course. Um, I think, Zach, I think it's important to be technical first. You know, we've got to train the goalkeepers to be technical. When they transition into the bigger goal, which is obviously around that age group, it's important that we do do footwork and, and some work on speed to, to allow them to cover the goal. Uh, again, some people at that age group, so, so some kids are six foot tall and some are, some are four foot five, you know. So, so there's a massive disparity depending on when they hit puberty. So, so it's important that we provide them with the tools to be successful. That's not necessary explosion and, th and, and plyometrics and things like that. A lot of it is efficient footwork. So, for example, if they're near post, are they rounding their run to get to a point or are they going in a straight line? You know, is the ball too fast and they have to come deeper to the line or is it slow enough that they can actually get closer to the, to the player and, and maybe impact what that player is doing on the ball? So efficient footwork and goal coverage is important. And when they go to the bigger goal, obviously in that first year or so, um, we have to understand that they're not going to save you know, balls that are hitting the corners or in the upper 90. It's just not physically possible for them to do it yet. But we have to keep pushing them to try. Got it. It's just the progression. It's just kind of trusting that process over time. Um, okay, again, back to Ryan Everhart. He says, what would you success, uh, suggest for stopping a breakaway? So, I know we haven't really covered 1v1s. We discussed the uh, block save technique. But uh, for you, I know Joe Lloyden likes to talk about phase one, phase two, phase three. So for you, uh, what is your kind of approach when it comes to 1v1s and any tips for younger goalkeepers? Uh, so, I mean, obviously, how, how close how close is the uh, ball to the field player? Can I get the ball in my hands early? So can I make a save before the shot is taken? And then you've got the blocking save or the smother getting into the feet and, and saving the ball as the shot is taken, so during the shot, and then sometimes it's just staying on your feet. If the, if the player is dribbling away from goal, just shadowing them, staying on your feet, and then uh, reacting to the ball that is played. So decision, again, decision-making and understanding, again, before the shot is taken, can I win it? During the shot, what type of shape do I need to take based upon right or left foot, where I am in the goal, the angle of the goal, uh, and then can I stay on my feet? So as far as what to look for uh, as a goalkeeper coach. I, I think we need to, again, I said this before, train the goalkeepers for every possibility. Give them the tools to be successful 
and put them in a realistic environment in training so that when it happens in a game, they've already seen it. Got you. I got two or three more questions here. And this is actually one that I really like. It's from Edward, Edward Delgado. And he says, best way to stay mentally focused in a group setting where the teammates don't have that good bond as far as uh, competing for that starting position. So for you, maybe as a goalkeeper, how would you approach that? And as a goalkeeper coach, how would you approach making sure that that culture is set? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Edward. You know, so not everyone has the same passion. Some people uh, are naturally gifted. And therefore, they have a di and some people have a different take on how they should be training. Perhaps they don't have the same training habits. Staying mentally focused, sometimes that means that you have to have a conversation with a coach, uh, depending on how old you are, to say, you know, I, it really affects me when so-and-so does this. And as a coach, you've got to take that and say, okay, I'm not getting the most out of, let's say, not getting the most out of Edward because the environment I'm creating doesn't allow for him to be successful. So I think focusing on yourself is massively important. Uh, holding yourself to a high standard is, is critical. So, and that means serving as well, when it's your turn to serve, even though the other goalkeepers perhaps aren't giving you the service that you need to be successful or not taking, taking it seriously when they're serving, hold yourself to a higher standard. Hold yourself to, to a standard where you're always giving good service. When you're in goal, you're always switched on. And again, sometimes that means, it might mean a deep breath. It might mean... I mean, I've seen people slap themselves in the face. I'm not going to recommend that, but uh, you know, just finding a trigger, finding a trigger. Some people have an elastic band on their wrist and they just flick an elastic band or something like that. Uh, it might be, might, might be doing your Velcro on your, on your, your sport gloves. I don't know if you can see them, but your sport gloves might be doing a Velcro on those uh, just to, to, as a mental uh, thing to get you readdressed into the, into the training session. Um, but if, if there is a problem within the group, I think you need to go to the coach and, and, say, and say something in a very, very professional manner. As a goalkeeper coach, I mean, I see people out there you know, that they have no socks on, sunglasses, hat on backwards, no gloves, and they're just laughing, joking, and it's all about them scoring goals. And that's, that's not goalkeeper coaching. Having goalkeepers dive over, around, crawl under, you know, although that's not goalkeeper coaching either. That's That's... That's Instagram. I, I think as a goalkeeper coach, you want your goalkeepers to succeed. Everyone loves their goalkeepers to succeed. You want to hear, Omar, if you don't see your goalkeepers play on the weekend, you want feedback from the coach to say, hey, Omar, you should have seen Cindy play this weekend. She was fantastic. Or you should have seen Steve. The, the save that he made, you know, you want to hear that feedback. Um, so the environment that you create is critical. It, and the environment that I like to create is positively challenging. I'm not a yeller and a screamer. I like to encourage the goalkeepers to be successful in every rep if possible. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm yelling every rep or I, I'm certainly not belittling them. But a positive, positively challenging environment, I think, is critical and a fun environment. We want the kids to love what they're doing. Agreed. Okay, one last question here. Or actually, let's get into the IGCC real quick. I've had a few people ask in the comment section if, obviously, with the current times, uh, with the pandemic and things like that, is it going to be canceled or is it kind of uh, up in the air at the moment? That's a great question. You know, um, I have been in touch with this, and it's actually not, not, not really my decision. It, it comes down to will they be hosting it? Um, and that comes down to IMG. I'm told that IMG is closed until May 24th, um, which is two weeks before the IGCC. So I am waiting as much as everyone else is as well, you know, because uh, and, uh, and uh, just to be fair to everyone, you know, it will come out and I think it has to come out in the next two weeks, whether or not we're going to be able to host it because I have no control over immigration and getting things in, getting people in from other countries or getting yeah product in from other countries so you know i'm working on it i'm in touch with all the people that i need to be in touch with and hope i, I hope it happens because this lineup of coaches is uh second yeah. to none and if if for some reason we can't we have to postpone it i will look to try and do something in an, in december possibly closer to your location uh, but we'll wait and see on that um but you know the the goal the goal is to to, to still host it if if possible based on circumstances obviously awesome okay i'm going to ask you this last question from my man armando and he says who did you model your game after during your youth and playing career what did you pick up 
uh, most from watching their game. So I think, again, for the younger goalkeepers today to kind of reflect on their own uh, idea of who they try to model their game after. So what did you look for and who were your, your models? Yeah, so, I mean, that, that's an easy one for me. Uh, growing up in England, there were all sorts of goalkeepers that were playing at the time. The number, the, the two goalkeepers that really stood out to me at the time, and this, since I am that old, again, uh, were, <laughs> <I'm Peter, misspoke. laughs> were Peter Shilton, uh, an England international, played for Notts Forest, played for Southampton, and uh, Ray Clements, who played for Liverpool and Spurs. Both of those two were exceptional goalkeepers. I was probably about the same height as Ray Clements. He was, he, he was a taller goalkeeper. Peter Shilton was just an efficient goalkeeper in, in every aspect at the time. And now the game has changed, obviously. So as I, as I was getting older, that's, that's when, uh, you know, some of, some of the other goalkeepers started to come out. You know, the, the, the Joe Hearts were just sort of starting to play and those, those types of people. I had a lot of, a lot of people that I could watch. Um, and being in England, there was a lot of football that I could go and see. I would strongly encourage goalkeepers and goalkeeper coaches to provide resources to their goalkeepers to watch other goalkeepers play. I mean, in this time where we're not allowed to go out and train and hopefully people aren't going out and training, take the time to watch, take the time to learn, take the time to get better and help your goalkeepers get better. We've started a little bit of a program here in Philadelphia with our goalkeepers. I actually made some uh, training videos today that I'll share with you, Omar, that were just individual goalkeeping exercises. Now, bear in mind, I'm, I'm old and slow, <laughs> so, so hopefully the goalkeepers can do it with better technique and do, do it a little bit faster, but just some very simple, quick ideas for them so that we can keep them ticking over. Got you. Okay, Phil, thank you so much for, for coming on. Again, wealth of knowledge and for young goalkeepers and goalkeeper coaches alike, the information that you provide in, in these Q&As is invaluable to them and as, as, well, as well for me. So again, guys, uh, you guys can look up Phil on, uh, look him up. You can go on his website. Is it gk1.com? Yeah, gk1.com or uh, email me phil at gk1.com or just follow me on Instagram at Phil Wedden. All right, guys. So unfortunately, the audio did cut out there because of a one-hour limit on Instagram Live. But I can't thank you guys enough for asking your questions. And I can't thank Phil enough for sharing some of his time to answer your guys' questions. Phil has been a role model for a lot of us goalkeeper coaches. And hopefully for the younger goalkeepers, you guys know who he is now. He's very accessible on social media, at Phil Wedden as his handle. So make sure you follow up with him. And if you have any more questions about the podcast or any answers that he may have given, reach out to him and let him know that uh, you do have a question. Again, stay tuned for the IGCC News International Goalkeeper Coaches Conference that Phil puts on. For the coaches out there that are wondering if it's still going to happen, as you heard there in the episode, he's not 100% sure yet because things are out of his control because of flights and the actual property where it's going to be held in Bradenton, Florida. So stay tuned for that. And also, guys, stay tuned for the episode that I'm going to be dropping soon with Chris Sharp from the Colorado Rapids. Chris and I did a two-part series on YouTube where he allowed me to mic him up and we actually broke down his session in post-production and discussed what his coaching points were and why he decided to uh, draw the session up the way that he did. So make sure you guys watch that so you guys have some more context and some background on Chris's. But if not, stay tuned for that next episode. Have a great day, guys. Stay safe, stay indoors, and stay healthy. My name is Omar Zini. Talk to you guys soon.